Dorothy said in The Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. And uh, you good brethren have no idea how true that is to me this morning. Uh, visited three very sound, very faithful congregations while we were gone. The people were very delightful, were very uh, friendly, but there's no place like home. And I'm glad to be back here with you this morning. Glad to talk about Abraham. What a powerful figure he is in the Bible. And how does he influence us so much through the pages of Scripture as God's Word brings this man's life to our eyes and we can just see him as he carried out all those things that God spoke concerning him. This morning we're going to talk about Abraham as a great father. And you know, when you approach the Bible, you realize that sometimes things have changed because modern man is confused. They're confused with the lives of so many and their role models. I'll just give one for instance. There's so much gender confusion these days. A man who was an athlete, a man of great prominence, a masculine man by the name of Bruce Jenner, fathered six children. Now he wants people to call him Caitlyn Jenner, and he dresses up like a woman. You see, children look and they, they need positive role models. And when you start asking, what does a great father look like? If you start scanning through the pages of Scripture, and you start trying to find the picture of a great father, I suggest to you you won't have to go much further than the life of Abraham. You see, God, the creator of man, knows what he intended when he created man. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, Genesis 1. You see, the picture that you and I want to get from God's word is that of Abraham's life as a great father. Now, this fits in a series that we're going to deliver Last lesson, two weeks ago, was on Abraham as God's friend. This one's going to be on a great father. Lord willing, next Sunday will be as he generated fraternity. He sought a brotherhood with Lot as well as others. And then finally a man guided by faith. But here's what we're going to try to accomplish today. When we start talking about a great father, we're looking for someone who has family leadership, someone who can stand before his family and say, this is the way we are going to go, a true leader, a man. Second of all, we want to look at a spiritual leader. Too often we've forgotten that and the importance of it. And young men and older men, I'm going to encourage you this morning to make some resolutions for yourselves that you are going to do the job God wants you to do as being the head of your house. And then finally, to look at a man, a leader who made mistakes, realizing that every good leader, because they're human, have made mistakes, but they're great not because of those mistakes, but in spite of them. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of a family leader. I want you to return to the passage that Brother Kelly read to us just a few moments ago. In Genesis 18 and verse 19, 
I want to punctuate some of the words so that you and I can draw out of this passage some of the lessons that are found therein. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now as you and I step back and we start asking the question about Abraham, what about him stands out? And the first thing is God knew Abraham. He knew that he could confidently speak of the promises that he would bring about not only in Abraham but in his descendants after him. It's the same as in John chapter 2 verse 25 where John records that Jesus did not need that anyone testify to him concerning man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows man. God knows man. God could look at Abraham and know that every promise that he was going to make to him could be fulfilled because of his character. Of who he was. The next thing you know that he commanded his children and his household. When you start thinking of the word commanded, we're not thinking of suggestions. There's sometimes when fathers do not need to poll their family and say to them, Do you think this is right or do you think this is wrong? There's a time, there's a place for commands. In fact, Children need authority. They need rules. They need boundaries. They need obligations, and they don't need their parents to be their buddies. They've got plenty of those and their peers. Children need someone to provide some structure for their family. Abraham was the man that could do that, to say this is what is right and this is what we will do. To give further emphasis to this, if you start looking at the word command, you can find it in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 with regards to the Garden of Eden. And the Lord commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree that is in the midst of the garden you may not freely eat. Chapter 3 verse 11, God said to him, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? Yes, there's a time and there's a place for the father in the home as the head of the family to do what God did in the very beginning, and that is to give some commands as to what will and will not be done. A leader needs to be the kind that can be respected by his wife. You go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and you will see a situation where Peter is pointing at wives and how they should respond to their husbands. And he records in verse 5, For in this manner in former times, holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good, 
and are not afraid with any terror. You see, godly women are the kind who look at their husband, good men like Abraham, and can respect them for who they are and where they stand. This is the idea of a father who can speak for the family. In Joshua chapter 24, in verse 15, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the God which your father served on the other side of the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But Now listen carefully. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Fathers, you need to be like Abraham, willing to stand up and say, This is what my family will do. This is where we will go. This is the way we will live. You need to be a family leader. But if you focus in more on that verse, it says that he will command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord. And you say, I think the next point is supposed to be about spiritual leadership. It is. There are some overlaps, if you will, but... In this verse, to keep the way of the Lord. What does that involve? Well, it involves righteousness. To do righteousness and justice. Now someone says, I want to know what that means I'm supposed to do. Deuteronomy 6.25, he says, Then it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to observe all the commandments before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. Do you want to know what real righteousness is on our part? It is when God gives us a command that you and I follow that command. That's what Abraham was going to lead his family in. That's the way of the Lord. And then he says it involves justice. I think it's significant in this same context of Genesis chapter 18 that you get to verse 25 and they're discussing the situation at Sodom. And he says, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. The word right there. It's the same word back in verse 19 for justice. That means that I've got to treat you right. I've got to be honest with you. I've got to be fair with you. Deuteronomy 16 verse 18 talks about the appointment of judges. And he says, And they shall judge the people with just judgment. When I stand before a judge, I want one who will impartially fairly, correctly administer justice. When the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, she saw all of Solomon's wealth. She saw the way that God had blessed Israel because of Solomon. And then she makes a judgment or an observation with regard to him. She said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice 
and righteousness. You see, God expected out of Solomon the same thing that He expected Abraham to teach His children. Justice, righteousness, treating people fairly and treating people good. In Psalm 106, verse 3, Blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Proverbs 21, 3, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Well, such a powerful statement that's found there. That God would rather us do right to begin with rather than have to seek forgiveness afterwards. Now, I've tried to stress the importance of a father stepping up and being the leader of the family. And some people say, okay, give me the, the reins and I'll take the charge. But you see, leadership has to be tempered with compassion and endearing respect. You see, those who are real fathers can't just be dictators. They have to communicate to their family some compassion that they really love them is the reason why they're leading in such a way. For instance, in Ephesians 6, verse 4, and Colossians 3, 21, And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. In writing the Colossians, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You see, it's possible to rule in such a fashion that your children rebel and become angry. Or the other direction, they become so discouraged that they can't be what they ought to be. They don't think that you love them. They don't think that you care for them. Even in discipline, fathers should be able to earn the respect of their children when the Hebrew writer spoke in chapter 12 about discipline, he said, Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit to those who've been trained by it. You see, what discipline is able to do, if a person looks and says, my father loves me, he cares for me, and he doesn't want me to do this, and he tells me no, and I, I choose to do otherwise, and I suffer the consequences for it, I still know my daddy loved me. You know, the prodigal son, one of the things that he knew He knew his daddy still loved him. He knew he still cared. Now for a few moments I want to shift gears and talk about spiritual leadership. And if you will, let's go to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and then we're going to punctuate some specific verses after that through verse 14. Genesis 22, you're going to be very familiar with this passage now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, 
Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled a donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, um, this is very familiar. However, when you start examining the verses in detail, there's some really important lessons that start popping out there. For instance, look at verse 5. He took his son to worship. And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Fathers, listen carefully. It is your obligation to bring your children to worship God. There's going to be a day when one of your children looks up and says to you, I don't want to go. Just like they're going to say to you some morning, I don't want to go to school. Or I don't want to take a bath. Or I don't want to do this. I don't know why, but if they say, I don't want to take a bath, you don't say, well, okay, I'm not going to force you to do that. But when it comes to worship, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to force him. He might feel he's been pressured in life. Boo-hoo. You taught them to take a bath. You need to teach them to worship God. And not just teach them to do it. You need to take them like Abraham did. Look at verse 6. He involved his son in the worship. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two of them went together. He involved his son in what he was going to do. Let me tell you something, folks. You need to involve your children as we sing these songs. They're songs of praise. You're teaching them. You need to pick up that songbook and sing yourself. And you need to look at your son or your daughter and you need, if they're not singing, just put a book in their hand and teach them to sing. You say, well, you're getting very specific now. Yes. Abraham was a great father. Do you want to be one? You want to lead your family as God would have you to lead it? Look at verse 7. His son had already been instructed in what is involved in worship. Here's what happens. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He knew that there was fire. He knew there was wood. And he also knew there ought to be a lamb to offer. Where did he learn that? His father had taught him. You see, great fathers 
teach their children what is involved in worshiping God. And Isaac already knew that. He observed his father's commitment to obedience. I've got to tell you, as, as Abraham takes and binds his son to put him on the altar, he's got to know his, his father, probably with tears in his eyes, I don't know if he did or not, but the sadness that goes along with fear and the fear of offering your son. But you know what happened. Abraham's hand was stayed. Isaac was not offered. God said, now I know that you would not withhold even your only son from me. And there was a lamb caught in the thicket. And Abraham named that place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh means the Lord will provide. Look at what you find in verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. That made me think about Abraham and Isaac and how things stuck with him. You see, Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh. But do you know Abraham also called the names of other places? Like wherever they dug a well, they would name the well. In chapter 26, verse 18, And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names that his father had called them. You think about the spiritual language that you are communicating to your children. What is it that the children hear come out of your mouth? They're going to use those same words. They hear vulgarity, profanity. Oh, that's, don't be surprised when they pick that up too. You see, great spiritual leadership and fathers are fathers that can speak spiritual things to their children. And then he observed his father's faith. I'm not going to belabor this because this is going to be our lesson two weeks from today, but I want you to listen to verse 17 of Hebrews 11. By faith of Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Now look at verse 19. Concluding that God was able to raise him from him up, even from the dead, which he received him also in a figurative sense. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, you remember when he left the two young men that he brought with him? He said, the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship and we will return to you. We, plural. Abraham had no doubt in his mind that even if God allowed him to take that knife to slay his son, to burn him on that altar, that God could bring him back again. Now that's faith. That's trust. And Isaac saw that in his father. 
Now, if you'll turn over to chapter 26 with me for just a few minutes, let's look at verses 23 through 25. Genesis 26, 23 through 25. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there. Now stop just a moment. Isaac is now his own man. Isaac is now the leadership of his own home. And he goes and God speaks to him and he builds an altar. Where did he learn to do that? Let me tell you about Abraham. Abraham was a man who everywhere he went built an altar. He arrives in the promised land at Shechem. I'm going to build an altar. He goes to the south. I'm going to build an altar. In fact, there are what's called the four famous altars of Abraham. For time's sake, let me just refer to these. The altar of praise in Genesis 12, 7. In Genesis 12, 8, the altar of prayer. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 18, the altar of peace. And then finally, the altar of provision in chapter 22, verse 9. Oh, you start saying, wow, there's altars everywhere. Do you want your children... When they grow up to be adults, when they become their own man or their own woman, to then choose to be the faithful Christian they ought to be, then everywhere you go on vacation or wherever you go, you put the Lord first. Let your children see you do that. Let them see that God is important in your life. And your children will follow. Genesis 22, 9. Spiritual lessons are to be learned from fathers. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, I always love the way that Moses put this. And the word which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you lie, rise up, when you lie down and um, when you walk by the way. He said, there shall be as a sign on your hand and frontlets between your eyes. You'll write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What he's talking about in verses 7 and 8 is simply every facet of life ought to be affected by your faith. Whether it's when you're getting up in the morning or going to bed at night or whether it's you're walking by the way or whatever it is, it ought to be there. It ought to be in such ingrained in you that it ought to be like on your hand, ought to be like between your eyelids or on your doors and gateposts. You start thinking about that. There's going to be times when your children are going to ask you what things mean. Let me just give you just two or three real quick illustrations. Exodus chapter 12, verse 26. The Passover. You know, they had the feast of the Passover followed by the feast of unleavened bread. 
And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You know, just a few moments ago, eight gentlemen, brothers, passed the emblems of the Lord's Supper. Some of you have little children, little toddlers, and there's going to come a time when they're going to look at you and say, why did you eat that cracker and drink that grape juice? That's what they're going to say. And you can explain to them, well, that's unleavened bread, and that's the fruit of the vine. And Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had offered thanks, said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. You can begin, and you can take 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, and just explain it to them. That when we eat that bread, that reminds us of the body of Jesus. When we drink that grape juice, the fruit of the vine, that reminds us of the blood that Jesus shed. What do you mean by this service? Oh, what a teaching moment that is. Chapter 13, verses 8 and 14. He talks about the feast of unleavened bread. And you're going to tell your son, this is because of what the Lord did for us when we're brought up out of the land of Egypt. This is because of God's mighty hand. When you tell your children about the bread and the fruit of the vine, you say to them, it's because of what Jesus did for us. He died for us. And we want to remember that every first day of the week. Joshua chapter 4. They crossed through the Jordan River and they set up a, a stack of stones. There's going to come a time when your children are going to ask, verse 21, what are these stones? What do they represent? Well, God allowed us to cross the Red Sea. God allowed us to cross the Jordan River on dry land. God's always provided for us. And then spiritual leadership. He's the father of the faithful. John 8, verse 39, Jesus answered and said to him, Abraham, or they answered and said to him, that is to Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You want to be a great father like Abraham? Lead your children so they can do what you do and be pleasing to God. Now I'm just going to have to very quickly point out lessons that have to be learned by mistakes. And I want to point out Mistakes sometimes can be communicated to your children as well. And so you need to think carefully about what you're doing. The Bible never whitewashes the failure of the characters in it. You know, if the Bible was going to present something and, you know, wanted to skew the picture somewhat, then you'd have the lives of people you'd say, I can't ever be that good. I can't ever be that great. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, there's not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. If you say, I, I have made mistakes, well, so what? Everybody else has as well. doesn't mean you should relish those mistakes, glorify them. Romans 3, 9 and 10, there's, what are we better than they? No, not at all. For we previously charged both Jews and Greeks that all are under sin. As it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, let's look at Abraham real quickly. 
You remember Genesis chapter 12 when he went down to Egypt? Pharaoh, he told them that Sarah was his sister. Or do you remember in chapter 20, Abimelech? He tells him, she's my sister and not my wife. God has to rebuke the man of God for his deception. And you get to chapter 26, verse 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Abraham married a beautiful woman named Sarah. Isaac married a beautiful woman named Rebekah. Both of them lied. In a moment of pressure, they gave in. Where did Isaac learn to do that? From his father. Oh, there's so much to talk about in chapter 16. You remember that God had told Abraham he was going to have a seed, and that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Sarah proposed a solution to use Hagar, the handmaid. Have a child by her and I'll claim the child. Hagar has Ishmael. What Sarah sees is that didn't work. He saw the effect, she saw the affection that Abraham had for Ishmael. Became a very tense situation. By the time you get to chapter 21, Sarah says, that woman's got to go and her child too. And Cast out the handmaid and her child. I'm going to tell you, those are some sad words when you read in chapter 21 about Hagar and Ishmael and you see the pitiful condition they're in and the way they're treated. And Abraham realized, you know what? I shouldn't have done this. Sometimes we listen to others. They propose things. Men, you want to be a good spiritual leader of your family? You're going to make some mistakes. The thing to do is correct them. Now I want to finish up with the passage in John chapter 8, verse 56. I find this verse really intriguing. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. I was talking to someone the other day about an ancestor of mine who was a gospel preacher many, many, many years ago. He was my great, great, great uncle. That's a long time ago. He's one baptized Gus Nichols. And uh, we were talking about if we could see where our family would be. Would you like to see where your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, maybe even four or five generations, maybe something that you did today that affects them that long from now? Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 
Abraham, looking all the way down to the time of Jesus, he saw it and was glad. That's where Abraham's children end up. All the earth will be blessed through his seed. Galatians 3, verse 15. And that seed is Christ. And you and I can follow the faith of Father Abraham. If you'll get your songbooks now, let's prepare to sing this invitation song. Perhaps there's some of you young people out here who've been thinking about obeying the gospel. I want you to, for a moment, think about a decision that needs to be made. What a wonderful privilege it would be this morning to see one of you obey the gospel be baptized for the remission of your sins, added to the Lord's church, I guarantee you that there's fathers in this audience who will shed tears. If you are a child of God and you're walking in a way that's contrary to what God wants you to do, why not come back home? God loves you. Your brothers and sisters here love you. Why not respond as together we stand and sing?